Hello and welcome to the Try Talking Sport podcast hosted by me, Joanne Murphy. Whether you are an athlete, adventurer, endurance enthusiast, or simply have an interest in sport, you've come to the right place for inspiration, encouragement, motivation, and as always, plenty of entertainment. Well, I'm back in Galway after a whirlwind, three weeks on the road, enjoying some Spanish sun, with some announcing work in Dublin with Gymnastics Ireland in between my trip to Lanzarote and Malaga. It was great to get away and enjoy some structured training in Lanzarote for a few days, then spend some time with my mum and sister chilling in the Costa del Sol. Back with a bang this week with lots going on. It's all go, as they say. And of course, the racing season is most definitely underway. The host of events across triathlon, cycling, swimming and running taking place last weekend. There were some super results and some very exciting finishes in races at home and abroad. I can't wait to see how things unfold and if the races at the weekend are anything to go by, well then it's going to be some cracker of a racing season ahead. I'm looking forward to announcing the Great Ireland Run in the Phoenix Park in Dublin this Saturday. The 10k event hosted by DCH is the Athletics Ireland National 10k Road Race Championship event, so there should be plenty of excitement on the day. It's not too long now until the open water triathlon season kicks off here in Ireland and one of the first events out of the blocks is the Lacoutre Castle Triathlon on May 28th and 29th in Galway who celebrate their 10th anniversary this year. We have a 25% discount for this event and all Castle Race Series events in the UK. Simply use the code TTS252022 on www.castleraceseries.com to avail of the discount. You will be spoiled for choice of the number of events and the stunning castle venues. We've also got some discounted entries for a number of events hosted by the Bear Group and Run Dublin. Use the code TTSBG2022 to access the 10% discount on the Petite Super Value Wexford Half Marathon and 10k on the 24th of April and the Wheelworks Fastlane Half Marathon and 10k on the 22nd of May. Check out their events now listed on www.trytalkingsport.com. Speaking of discounts, don't forget to check out the product range from our partners, Nuasan, the Galway-based natural skin and body care brand. Use the code TTS15 to get 15% discount on all of their products on www.nuasan.com. You can tell them Joanne sent you. Now to this week's episode with Irish elite triathlete James Edgar. The 23-year-old from Lisburn completed his studies in economics and accounting at Queen's University in Belfast last year, then moved to Spain to throw himself into the sport of triathlon as a full-time athlete. Kickstarting his 2022 season with an impressive fifth place finish at the European Triathlon Cup in Leven last month, it was one of the best results of his career to date. The 2018 Commonwealth Games athlete has had some superb results since taking up triathlon in 2010, including being crowned the National Sprint Distance Champion in 2016 at just 17 years of age. He finished third under 23 male at the 2019 ETU Aquathlon European Championships, finishing in sixth position overall in the elite men's race on the day. It's not just triathlon that James has excelled. His swimming and running results are also very impressive. From a young age, he has shown great depth and power to his performance and ability in sport. In 2020, he was both the Ulster and Northern Ireland 5K and 10K champion, which are both impressive in their own right. However, it hasn't been plain sailing to the podium. Having endured no less than eight, yes, eight stress fractures in his foot in recent years, it is a wonder James hasn't thrown in the towel on sport or indeed on triathlon. But he continues to remain highly motivated, committed and determined to succeed in the sport that he has in recent years fallen in love with. We have seen some great results from James Edgar, but I believe the best is yet to come. And with the amount of hard graft, as he says himself, consistency in his training and approach to his life as an athlete, coupled with his can-do and will-do attitude, we'll see his appetite for success building to deliver many more great days and results across swim, bike and run. 
Now go grab a cuppa and enjoy the show. James, Edgar, welcome to the Try Talking Sport podcast. You're very welcome to the show today. I'm in Dublin. Where are you? Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm in south of Spain, just outside Malaga, in a little town called Salabrenia. And what are you doing in Malaga and is there sunshine? There is absolutely no sunshine. There is a lot of sand and that's about it. And we're on a three-week training camp uh, just after the first race of the season and working towards the second race of the season. So a three-week training camp with the desert sand. So how are you getting your training done? Are you swimming, biking and running every day or have you had to tailor yeah, your plans because of the less. More or less every day, yeah. We've still got the pool, so it's fine. Um, I was living in Spain for the last six months um, anyway, so I had the turbo over. So we've got the turbo here in the, in the living room. Running, we're just going out, wearing a mask, trying to not inhale all the sand. And is it raining over there at the moment as well, or is it just the sand? and, and Just the... the sand, but I mean, I kind of wish it was raining because then there wouldn't be any sand in the air. The rain's probably the best we could wish for right now. And how do you run with the mask? It's actually not too bad. It just, yeah, it doesn't feel too bad. So who's out on the camp with you then? Is this the Trat on Ireland camp? Uh, yeah, it's it's just me and Chloe Pollard at the minute. We had a few girls out um, earlier on in the camp. Uh, they're away home now. So that was Aaron and Alva. And now it's just me and Chloe working away here. You kickstarted your season with a fantastic fifth place. Talk to me about that race. So that was the Leaven uh, Indoor Triathlon. So it's a bit of a an exhibition race, you could call it, I suppose. Um, where you have a heat race, a semi-final, and then a final. And the top four progress from each section into the final. And it's effectively on a on an indoor running track. They have the pool built in the middle. Uh, you then cycle on the three outside lanes of the track, and then you run on the inside lane of the track. So it's uh, fast and furious. So you had to do three races in over one the weekend. Day. Three races in one day. Yep. Uh, I think it's over the space of six hours. Uh, the first one was at three o'clock and then the final started at nine. Um, so it was a lot of racing in such a small, small period of time. And what were the distances of each of the disciplines? It was super short. It was a 150 meter swim, a three kilometer bike and just over a one kilometer run. So you're what, racing for how long each time? About nine and a half minutes. So it's just flat out from the gun and hope you survive. How do you recover after each of those efforts and how do you warm up for the next one? Or how does that work on the day? Yeah, so between the first and second race, there was three hours. So I just did my normal warm up process again, which isn't very much anyway. It's just usually a 15 minute jog and then some strides and that, that was kind of it. And then from the semi-final to the final, there was only an hour in between them um, because I was the final semi-final. So my cooldown which was a 20 minute um ride on the rollers was also my warm-up for the final so it, it was just that and then it's just sort of sitting about and chilling for half an hour before it starts and what did it feel like to be on the start line of a big race like that again kick starting your season for this year oh it was unbelievable just even getting through the races it was it was great um and then being in the final with guys like vincent louis and takumi hojo and stuff it was it was quite surreal uh, it's probably other than the, the Olympic testament I did in 2019, it's definitely the highest caliber race I've been in. Um, and to perform so well was a shock, but also a relief at the same time. When you say it was a shock, is it, is it that you didn't expect to do as well or that you performed better than you expected? Because I've been in Spain since October, 
training by myself. I had absolutely no one to compare myself to. So I, I had no idea where I was at. I knew I was going well in training based off like some of the times, but I didn't know how that compared to other people. So that was kind of my first chance to even get a glimpse of where I was going to be. So progressing through each round, the expectations kind of had to get adjusted after each round because I kept surprising myself with how well I ran or how well I stayed in the packer. And when you're in the mix like that with some of those lads, how do you contain the excitement? Because it's one thing to race on a day and do well, like do a sprint race and do really well and then walk away from it and not race again for another two or three or four weeks. But to be in the mix and to be racing and to have that adrenaline high of doing so well and then to come back down to get ready to reset to go again. How did you manage that or did you just stay on high the whole day? I was kind of just on the high the whole day. You just, because you constantly had something to keep looking at, it wasn't like, it wasn't like, oh, there's the final is going to be race three. So I'll have to pace myself and see how I do. It was just, okay, I have to make it through this 10 minutes. How do I recover from the first race and then prepare for the second race? So your mind's not really thinking about the race until you're standing on the start line. And at that point, you just kind of tell yourself you're going to have to suffer for 10 minutes. And that's that's just going to be how it's going to be. You have to survive through it. You're distracted the whole way through the day. So you don't really you don't really get to um, take it all in until it's over. And because I wasn't 100% sure where my fitness was at, I didn't know I was going to make it even through the heats to the semis or from the semis to the final. So everything was kind of like taking it step by step because I couldn't get ahead of myself. Yeah, I suppose it's hard to keep those emotions in check and, and keep yourself balanced while, while all this is going on around you. James, for, for people who mightn't know who you are, we'll go right back to the start as to how you actually got involved in triathlon. Where did the interest in the sport come from and what is keeping you in it? So I started the sport through um, swimming and running, which was my background. Um, swam from a very very young age and ran from a young age um, and then my dad uh, used to be in the army so he he loves all his endurance events and things and he he was doing triathlon and um, ultra distance running and then Ironman and things when I was growing up so it was kind of a progression from there uh, and then in 2011 I think uh, Aileen Reid uh, joined my local swimming club in the lead up to the London Olympics and she knew my running coach um and then there was the academy days back back then for Trath in ireland uh, and i sort of progressed through that and going to the the talent identification days and then you sort of just you go from there um and you do a few of the youth races and that's sort of how i ended up in the sport when did the switch come from swimming into running into triathlon like when did you decide that swimming wasn't going to be your sport anymore and that triathlon was the one you were going to go for I don't think I ever did there was never like a proper transition I've I kind of always I always raced swimming up until oh, 2018 and I still race running so it's it's not like I ever made a transition to doing just triathlon it was always doing all three kind of side by side um I'd say now I've kind of made that that transition and the last sort of once I, f I finished uni last year, I was like, right, well, triathlon's what I want to do and what I, where I want to make it. So I've, I've, it's been a much more concerted effort since then just to do triathlon. Throughout the years, I've, I've always done the, the swimming and the, the running races. So then you were just missing the cycling piece? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, and how is your cycling? Well, it's my worst. <laughs> so that would be self explanatory. <laughs> but which is your favorite sport of the three now? probably running 
because it's the one I'm the best at. Um, but I do quite enjoy swimming, even though a lot of people find it quite boring. I quite enjoy just swimming up and down a pool in the morning. You know, when you were growing up in school and stuff, were you, was it only swimming and running you were doing or did you play any team sports or what was the... Growing up, I did absolutely everything. Um, my parents never really had the opportunity to do a lot of sport when they were younger, so they they sort of made it a point to make us, me and my brother, do every sport possible. So we grew up doing hockey, rugby, um, gymnastics, my brother water polo, um, cricket. Um, yeah, basically everything. It's funny, actually, because the, the more people I interview and the more people I chat with, if you ask them that question, the majority of people will have done a huge amount of sport as children. They won't have been siloed into one particular sport at a young age. And um, it's quite interesting to hear how they do a wide range and then they end up in that one sport when they get older. We were telling before we started recording uh, about some of your running. Your times have just gotten so much faster in the last couple of years. 10,000 metre and 5,000 metre uh, Ulster Northern Ireland champion in 2020. Where did that come from? Uh, years of work I think um so I, I actually I won my first Northern Irish um 5,000 meter title when I was 18 I think um in 2018 or 2017 so when I was 17 as well I'd ran I'd already ran 14 17 in the 5k and I'd go on to the European junior track championships and cross-country championships uh so I was I, I always sort of had that speed and um I just sort of progressed from there but because I've had so many injuries over the year, the progression wasn't where I'd as fast as I hoped it would be. So it took me six years or five years to get 10 seconds off a 5k time. So it was just a lot of graft in um, running and, and, and swimming and cycling just to try and get times down and power up on the bike. Uh, but the injuries did curtail that quite a lot. So I never got more than four or five months of, of actual training under my belt um before a race and then i'd usually get injured the first race of the year and then it would just be a process of starting all over again from scratch so you, you say the word graft but you know we we can think graft could be you know training 20 30 hours a week but what is it like what did you have to do in terms of consistency in training to get faster across not just your running but across the whole lot of your sport but because because of my injury history it was a lot of just going to the gym three times a week and spending a lot of time in the moon boots doing nothing. So swim wise, swim wise, I could always do that. So I was doing uh, seven, seven to 10 sessions a week in the pool whenever I was injured. Um, just because it was basically the only thing I could do. Um, and then I was doing three to four bike sessions a week as well. Uh, cause there wasn't as much pressure on my feet from, from being injured um, and, and cycling. So there was, You'd, you'd be looking at 30 to 40k a week in the pool and then eight to 10 hours a week in the bike. Uh, and then running wise, I always did low volume. So up until maybe the last year or two, I was working off 20 kilometers a week running. So very, very little compared to the average runner. So hang on a second. So you were running 1427 for a 5k in 2020 off 20k of running a week. On average, yeah. So it's, it's it's probably not the it's probably it's, it could be one of the reasons that I was always injured because there was so much intensity. But because because I was injured so often, I never had the chance to be able to build up the mileage to a point where it was just 
sustainable and you could do high mileage. Okay, so I have a couple of questions now off the back of that. So because of the consistency across your biking and your swimming, did you see massive gains across those two sports, even though your running was probably not going anywhere? I'd like to say yes, but no. <laughs> um, I probably plateaued from the age of 17 until 22, where my swimming was exactly the same. Uh, in terms of like times in the pool. So it was 1604 for 1500 is still my PB. So that's 104 for 100. Um, and I've still never improved that. And that was when I was 17. Last year was the first year I improved my 5K from when I was 17. And it was from 1417 down to 1407. So it was only 10 seconds. And then my bike power has, it has increased. It's gone, I, I, I think FTP is maybe gone from uh 300 to maybe 320 or 325 but it's not massive improvements not massive jumps but yeah yeah it's just been a a long few years is it not massively frustrating oh massively yeah like it's it's uh quite difficult actually to to keep yourself motivated all the time and for so many years after every time you get fit and do a point where you're like right well this is a good starting point it then becomes you're injured again and then you're back to point zero. So it's, uh, yeah, it's quite difficult. How do you deal with, I suppose, the frustration and the disappointment of getting injured? So we, we chatted earlier and you said it was eight stress fractures uh, over a certain period of time and all in your feet. Yeah. So you kind of just, because there was so many of them, you never, you, it's almost as if you didn't know anything else. And it was kind of just, that's how it was. Um, I don't know if it was just sort of that intrinsic motivation that I had that there was never a question of, oh, I'm going to, I'm not going to do this again kind of thing. It was just, right, well, I'm injured. How do I get back to where I was? And then it's just starting that process over again. It's like a stop, start, stop, start, stop, yeah. start, stop, start. Yeah. Your head would be absolutely wrecked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was after, um, after Commonwealth Games, it kind of all came to a, a crescendo, I suppose you could call it, um, where there'd been so much focus on getting to the Commonwealth Games and being in great shape for the games. Um, to then once it was done, I was like, well, what's kind of next? And then at the same time, I was doing bike racing at home and I got caught up in a couple of crashes. Uh, I was doing a three-day race down in in Uri and got caught in three crashes in two days. And then I think the week after that, I got a stress fracture. And the head went completely then in, in 2018. So I went from, in April at Commonwealth Games, I was 60 kilos, 60.7 on the day of race day. And by November or December 2018, I was 76 kilos. So the head just completely went at that point. Um, and then it was an even longer process to get back after that. Wow. Yeah. So what did you do to get back to race weight? just consistency in training. Like I'd, I'd sort of, I'd gone from doing so much training to nothing. And then I was, I was going out with friends. I was in uni and I was going out drinking more and partying more and the weight just kind of, it creeps on you. And then eventually you're like, yeah, that's, that's far too much. Um, and then we, we went and did a triathlon Ireland camp in Aguilas in December and we kind of called it James's fat camp <gasps> because it was just a process of me trying to get fit again basically um, did you put a lot of pressure on yourself when you started to come back to try and and lose the weight and, and get back to a race fitness i knew i hadn't done anything 
um, over those six or seven months. Um, and I put the weight on then and I knew just with training that the weight would come off anyway. So um, I stopped drinking and that was basically the main contributing factor to the weight gain. Um, so that that started to fall off and I got back down to sort of 65, 66 kilos. Because you could have gone down a real spiral, uh, you know, out partying, out drinking. You'd been a um, high achieving athlete and then suddenly you're kind of going mad for a couple of months. If you had let it continue, you might not be where you are today. Yeah, definitely not. Um, but I think it was also because I'd done the sport at such a high level from such a young age that I kind of needed a blowout phase yeah. to then be like, well, this is actually what I want to do. I don't want to spend my life just going out all the time and just doing a nine to five kind of thing. I want to sort of take this opportunity while I can and make the most of it. You finished university last year, economics and accounting at Queen's University. What was the trigger, I suppose, to decide not to use your degree to go down a uh, a, a typical uh, nine to five Monday to Friday job versus throw yourself into sport 100%? Well, I never really wanted to go to uni. It was never, I just never thought it was beneficial to me. I think that there's a lot of focus put on uni now that you have to have it, but not a lot of people enjoy the experience while they're there, which is which was also my experience. I sort of hated every minute of uni, but my parents were like, well, you kind of need it at some point, um, just even as like a fallback. So that was kind of the only reason I went to uni. So the plan was always, once I got out of uni, was to do elite sport uh, for as long as I could. Uh, and growing up as well in, in Lisbon Swimming Club, uh, my first coach was a guy called Richard Gale. And he went to the Seoul Olympics in 1988 for swimming. And I always remember him saying, like, you can you can only do sport until you're 30. You can always go back and do school. Like, there's always that opportunity to go back and do what you want. Um, so that was kind of, I've always remembered that as, well, there's only a limited amount of time you can do sport. You may as well do it while you can. There's always a uh, longer distance sports when you get older. No, well, that's true. Yeah. That's just, that's <laughs> I've been cut out for the Ironman stuff though. I don't know. I mean, what age are you now? 23? Yeah. 23. Yeah. And do you absolutely love triathlon? Yeah. It's definitely, if it's, I just, I love the training aspect of it. Um, I just, I just, I've always done endurance sport and team things were never my, my forte because I, I hated relying on other people. Um, and I hated like other people being responsible for how, how the outcome came. Whereas in triathlon or just any endurance sport, really, you're responsible for the result. And it's 99% of the time, what you put into it, you get out of it. It might take longer than you expect, but the effort that you put in will eventually show itself. What motivates you to get out of bed in the morning to go training? That's a good question. Um, I think now it's at the minute it's routine um, or over the last six months it's been routine um, and just doing the same thing sort of every day, swim, bike, run every day for six months just to see how fit I could get. And I've always been interested in numbers, which is again, probably helped with the economics and accounting in uni. So I quite like analyzing all the data from training from like power meters and paces and heart rates and lactates and everything like that i just find it very interesting so the data probably motivates me the most in that just being able to do a session and see how my body reacts to it or how good i can get um helps with getting me out of bed so what's your favorite uh, piece of data that you will go to every day to look at oh I, i'd go to heart rate quite a lot 
heart rate for for efforts or pace um on running uh that'll be quite it's just quite nice to see a trend of your heart rate going down for the same pace or else being able to run so much faster for the same for the same amount of effort um i quite enjoy that um swimming obviously you've just got the clock at you all the time and so growing up with that and i've got a pretty good memory for numbers as well so i kind of remember the times i've been swimming for maybe the last 10 years so i can always have a comparison to see where i'm at and how i'm going um and the bike is just par par is the, the sort of be all and end all and when you look at the numbers and you maybe see the numbers aren't going in the direction that you want them to go in are you hard on yourself or are you kind to yourself i'm usually kind to myself i don't it's very rare in a sport like triathlon where all three are going badly so there's always there's always something good that you can look at and if all three are going badly you probably need to take a real look at what you're doing or a rest week or yeah that's that always helps um not that many people want to take those uh but i when i moved out to spain in october i went fully self-coached for the last six months so just did my whole own training program and everything so i had the data to look at and everything and it seems to have paid off um is, is that a risky move doing oh, self-coaching mm. um whenever i told the high performance guys at trath in ireland they he- hesitant would probably be a nice way of putting it completely against it would be another but at the same time i also wanted a change from home so it was kind of a balance of i wanted to change in my training environment and this was a way for me to do that and just take control of of my own life and my kind of career because it's kind of i'd had everything dictated to me for so long and like and i'd been in the sport for so long that i felt that i knew what i needed to be doing so it was just a matter of going down and, and doing it um and the only thing that's really been missing in my training was consistency so i knew if i could be consistent it would pay dividends um regardless of what actual training i was doing so was, i'm kind of a big believer in any training's good training so even if you just go out for a 20 minute run it's it's still going to be beneficial you're going to get something from it it's not like that's going to be a pointless run moving to malaga do you now have a training group over there training buddies i know you would have trained with russell and khan there when russell was getting ready for for tokyo do you miss having that um around you or have you found a group out there now that you can train with as well for company so i moved over with my girlfriend she was just working from home so it was quite a good opportunity for her to be able to come out and just live in spain for six months and um i haven't really found a group over here per se uh there's a couple of runners in the town i was living in called nerha uh that have run 1310 for 5k so we're like proper fast guys we're on the diamond league circuit and everything so i've popped in and done a, a few sessions with them over the months but i've been cycling entirely by myself and swimming by myself the whole time is that difficult I don't find it difficult. I quite like it. I quite enjoy just going out and doing it myself and getting it done. On the running front, you mentioned those lads that are um, would have been in the Diamond League and running those 13-minute 5K times. They'll obviously help to improve your performance and, and push you in training. But if you don't have that in cycling, are you still able to get the most out of your training without having other people around you to push you harder? Um, I think so. Um, I think as long as you're putting the effort in, it still works out the same mm. um and because you have that power meter on the bike you kind of always know what you're doing exactly what you're doing and you can take that approach where you just 
this is this is the training program. I just knuckle down and do it. Uh, probably the only thing that that I'd like to have a grip for would probably be the long rides, just to sort of get through them a little easier. But I was still getting out there and getting them done and sitting on the bike for three, three and a half hours, four hours some days. What does a, a typical training week look like now for you? Um, I guess we're, what are we, three or four weeks out from the next big race? Yeah, so it's kind of just um, back to putting in the work again. Um, so it's roughly 25 to 30 hours a week at the minute. So it's swimming Monday to Saturday every morning for 90 minutes, which is five and a half to 6K. And then you get Sunday off the swim. And then I'm biking pretty much every day. And you'll have uh, two hard days on the bike, which will be something like uh, 10 by four minutes. Or I quite like doing three by 20 minutes. Zone three is a session that I'd always go to quite frequently. Um, and then a long ride as well. And then easier rides just dotted in the, the other days. And then running. I'm running... Uh, six days a week at the minute and it'll be three hard days of monday will be 10 by three minutes usually with a minute off tuesday will be 45 minutes doing r easy uh wednesday will be longer reps like two k's on the track or mile repeats thursday will be a 45 minute doing our run again friday will be shorter stuff so it'll be a 400 session on the track or 200 session Saturday I'll have a day off and then Sunday I'll be 45 minutes so yeah it, it adds up that is a lot of training yeah yeah it adds up quite quickly where does the siesta come in um generally after my second session of the day and I've been making the most of that I'll swim from 8 to 9 30 do I'll generally do swim bike run in that order every day so I'll swim from 8 to 9 30 um i'll bike from 11 to 1 and then i'll sleep from 2 to 4 2 to 5 or quite a few hours i make the most of it and then i'll run in the evening at six or half six by being self-coached do you run the risk of overtraining um yes but also because i look at the data so much i kind of know where at what point my heart rate is either too high for a session I'm doing or else it's too low to the point where I've just, I have overtrained I just need to take days off um, and then on the days off or on the days where there's recovery what do you do for fun we literally me and my girlfriend would go down to the beach it was usually a Saturday I'd take a rest day and um, basically every Saturday was a rest day and we'd go down to the beach, have ice cream in the beach, have lunch down at one of the, the restaurants down there or, and that was kind of it and walk around town or sometimes we'd go on a hike. But I realized very early on, pretty much the first week that I took a rest day that the hike was not a beneficial thing for recovery. <laughs> so we did that once and then that was it. We called it quits after that. Maybe a stroll along the beach at the water's edge might be more of an active recovery day than a big hike. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, we ended up doing that afterwards. So. <laughs> And the, and the ice creams are totally important as well definitely needed oh yeah yeah you can't like you can't go down there and not have an ice cream when it's sunny and everyone's out in their swimsuits absolutely so you've just mentioned quite a big block of of activity and training um did they get to the bottom of of why you were getting all the stress fractures and are you now able to mind yourself a bit better if that's what's needed to prevent some of those fractures again we've never really got to the bottom of them really um 
I've been sort of everywhere that everyone recommends every time you get a stress fracture. So runner's lab in Belgium is a big one that everyone rants and raves about being amazing. But I went there after stress fracture number two and I'm now six later. So, um, that not much changed after that. Um, eating wise, they always assume that it's, that I wasn't eating enough. Whereas I always knew that I was eating enough and maybe wasn't the right things per se. Um, but I never thought it was that was the issue. Um, the only thing that we can look at is sort of inconsistency in training, where the running mileage would jump about quite a lot. So I'd go from like twenty k one week to fifty k, back to twenty, then a forty, then twenty. So that was that was probably the main thing, and that was kind of coming back from coming back from all those injuries. You're always wary of doing too much, then you'd cut it back the next week. So it was almost an insecurity, probably led to more of the injuries because i kept cutting things back and doing extra some weeks because i felt like i wasn't doing enough and then um taking like a real realistic look at it and being like well that was too much then i cut it back too much and it, it would just sort of chop and change a lot like that so i think i find that consistency is the main the main thing in avoiding the injuries and that's what i've done over the last six seven months is just be very consistent with my training and nothing nothing jumping up too much in mileage the next question I have for you is all around actually fueling um, and how do you fuel your training and fuel your recovery? What sort of foods are you eating or is there a particular routine that you get into in terms of fueling for the training and the big weeks? Um, not particularly. Uh, I'll have muesli every morning and, and that's just what I've had every morning for, for a long, long time. It's just about getting the calories in in a smart way. So not just I cut out a lot of the crap that I was eating as well and replaced it with um, like your passes and chickens and meats and things like that um, just to sort of have a better way of getting the calories in. Um, and then while I'm out on the bike, I've been eating a lot more as well, just in terms of fueling. So even just having sugar in my um, in my drinks bottles just to keep that fueled. So then it's sort of an extra fuel source as well um, when you're on the bike. Uh, Is it difficult to get the balance right between what you want to have versus what you should have versus the proper calories that you need to be getting in to fuel your performance um i sometimes sometimes you just you feel like i just want a massive chocolate bar so you can you can have that whenever you feel like it um as long as it's not every day that you're eating an insane amount of these things you could have you could have it every day as long as it wasn't excess to the point where you're like I think everyone kind of knows themselves when they've had too much of those kind of things. So it's just sort of keeping a tap on it and not, not going over the top. And is there a go-to meal that you would always have that you would not so much treat yourself to after a big session, but that you would look forward to after coming um, off a big run? Or yeah, my, my, my go-to one is uh, chicken and rice. My girlfriend's uh, stepdad makes an amazing chicken and rice and then we got the recipe off them. And um, I've just sort of made it more or less every day since. Like there's been times where I, I make it in bulk and there's times where I've had it for lunch and dinner the day before and then breakfast the next morning as well, just because there's all the leftovers and it's just so good. We might have to send um, a nutritionist over to you there to get some more variety into your diet, James. I'm not, I'm not really one for changing things up. I quite like, I quite like routines and I quite like just having the same thing all the time. <laughs> Um, I want to talk to you about uh, the Commonwealth Games and what it was like uh, getting over to Australia and racing over there. Oh, it was unbelievable. Um, it was uh, just a great experience all around. Uh, 
I slept. There was two flights across, both long haul, and I slept every minute of the flight the way over. I don't know how long that was, maybe 20 hours of flights or 24 hours of flights, and I, I slept solid the whole way there. How? I, I have no idea because we, we were in economy as well, and I just slept the whole... Thankfully, I was in the middle, so no one was climbing over me the whole time. But yeah, I don't think I had a single meal the whole flight. <laughs> and what was it like? Like literally standing on the start line, representing the country, you know, the years of hard work that you'd put in to get to that point. What was it like actually racing over there? Unbelievable. I knew I was in great swim shape, which helped because I knew I could I could be at the front of the race for a period of time. Um and thankfully that happened. So I, I came out of the water in ninth or tenth. And that was just unbelievable. Like coming out beside like the Brownleys and things. It was just sort of yeah, quite crazy. Would you say that that is one of the highlights of your career to date? Yeah, so far definitely, yeah. And then we turn it on its head and ask, what are the lowlights or have there been many lowlights? Um, just the injuries, just the constant injuries is the lowlights and having such limited preparation in the races and then not performing how you want to perform and then getting injured again and never feeling like you could prove yourself. So that was probably the hardest thing. I had quite a good junior career and I had quite a lot of big performances off not a lot of training. And then I've spent the last five years like beating my head against the wall trying to show the people that have given me so much support over the last five years that I can actually be good at the sport and, and get results. Um, and thankfully this year, hopefully it's, it's starting to pay off. Is it hard to keep going, James, when you've been injured so much like that and you know you have it in you to be absolutely top class, but you keep getting injured and you can't yeah. show those performances and show the training that you're doing? And I know you, you talk about the numbers and the numbers obviously show that you're really, really strong and a great athlete but it must be so frustrating and disappointing as well to not yeah, be getting well, where you want to be. At the end of the day, the numbers mean absolutely nothing because it's race results that actually matter. Mm. I can be in the greatest shape of my life in training and if the results aren't coming, it really doesn't matter. So yeah, it is, it is hard to sort of keep going. And there's, there's a lot of times where you're just like, well, I don't see the point in doing this anymore. Um, but then you'll go a day and your voice in your head will be like, well, yeah, I know you're pretty good at it though. <laughs> so you, you kind of just keep at it and you'll, you sort of go through your um, your ups and downs of like, this is amazing. You'd be super motivated to to train hard, and then you'll go through your downs where you just you don't really want to do it. And like, why am I putting myself through all this? And but the good days tend to to outweigh the bad days. Self belief hugely important, and confidence when you're racing at your level. Oh, it means everything. Like you, you confidence is the difference between having a great day and having a terrible day one person will get one good result and then the rest of their career could change just off the back of that one result and it's purely down to confidence nothing changed physiologically so your yeah, confidence plays a massive role a role in things what do you do to build your own self-confidence going into some of these big races going in where you're going up against some of the best athletes in the world on the international stage you just can't um there's there's no way to build up your confidence you just have to Racing is the only way to get confident. You can do it in training. There's some point where you're hitting PBs in training and that, that kind of helps motivate you and, and um, help a bit with the confidence. But then you stand on the start line and you still have no idea where you are. So until you get those first few races the year out of the way, you just sort of have no idea um, what's going to happen. It's kind of just um, thrown it into the wind. Speaking of races and, and the rest of the year, uh, what's next? 
Uh, so I've got a, a European Cup in Turkey on the 16th of April. Hopefully end up with a similar result to what I had in um, leaving there. Um, and then after that, we don't really know. The Commonwealth Games is this year again. Uh, at the minute, we only have the one slot. So we've got quite a few people going for the one slot. Um, so it's going to be quite difficult to, to, to even judge who's going to get that slot. And it's going to go um, right down to the... The final day, I think, at the end of June to decide who gets it. That must be really difficult as well. We spoke about that with um, Aaron McConnell recently as well about, you know, there just being one spot and so many athletes vying for it. Yeah, it's incredibly difficult, but it also it helps it helps motivate you in that way that you know that the best person is going to get picked at the end of the day. And because there's so many people vying for the same position, you you do have to sort of be on your A game and it helps it helps get you out of bed in the morning and, and um, put in the work every day. I know we joked earlier about the going longer. Have you thought about um, you know going long in the future? Is this something that might be on your radar or is it definitely for the next you know five to six years stay with the sprint and Olympic distance racing? Oh definitely stay with the sprint and Olympic. There's there is no way I'll be going long anytime soon. Um, Can I quote you on that we- now in three years time? You can ask me again in three years. The answer will be the same. Um, <laughs> even just to be competitive, it costs so much to be competitive um, in the top end in um, uh, the long distance stuff. TT bikes are just ridiculous. You have to have the top top of the market skin suits, the aero helmets, everything. And that's just not viable at the minute. You mentioned you're living in Malaga with your girlfriend. And I have to ask you, um, did you meet her on Tinder following the Commonwealth Games um, activities or through a different uh, platform? Uh, it was it was met through the same platform, yeah. But a year later. So, um... so for people who don't know, basically at the Commonwealth Games, there was an article came out about all these athletes who were on Tinder and you were featured as one of those in the article. And it's basically followed you around since 2018 yeah pretty much it's been the bane of my existence um, <laughs> for the last four years what was worse is i didn't even use tinder in the in the village like we didn't i just didn't use it so <laughs> i woke up one morning and then this was in the newspaper and i was like well what the hell so it was it was just yeah it was so strange um i got a lot of angry messages that day from like um from people working in offices about uh trying not to post it and trying to keep it keep the buzz down to, to a minimum <laughs> so yeah so what was it? A journalist just looking for a story? Yeah, basically a very, very, very quiet day. Nothing had happened. I don't even think there'd been any races at this point. Um, so they were just kind of doing a, an expose on life in the village or whatever. And then this was the big thing. My mother hates it. It's I'm her. not surprised. Um, your brother, Andrew, plays hockey. Yeah, he's in the Irish squad for it. Um, or the there's sort of like a, an outside squad of, of uh, people. So he'll go down to training days and things with them. You mentioned earlier on in, in the interview that, um, you know, you both played a lot of sport uh, growing up and that your dad would have been involved in sport when you were young. Do you think has um, your parents' involvement in sport and their support of your sport, do you think has that been one of the biggest influences in your career and your life choices to date in terms of sport? Yeah, definitely. I think if if my dad hadn't have done been a runner and done all those things growing up, I wouldn't have even considered triathlon is a, a thing to do and they've always been very well extremely supportive of my sport um they're even just helping fund trying to make it in the sport so yeah i kind of i probably owe everything in the sport to them really 
Now, before we finish up, we do have a couple of audience questions. The first of those is uh, Aidan McDonnell asks, what's the one piece of advice you would give to a complete newcomer to triathlon? Enjoy it. Enjoy it and join the local triathlon club. Um, it's probably the easiest way to get into the sport and to make friends through the sport, which also does make make the training a lot more enjoyable. Um, I know my local club um, in Lisbon, they'd have a lot of a lot of trips together where a lot of guys would go out to the same races and then they they do a lot of training together and stuff and they they all have a great time doing it so uh and i met a great crew from lisburn tri club out of the sands beach hotel uh last week so we had great fun with some of your fellow club mates and the other question i have is from your brother and he says what does it feel like to be the inferior edgar brother i would i would probably say i'm not the inferior edgar brother um but growing up he was he was always the the, the sporty one so basically anything that he does in sport he's just good at like it's it's very annoying and that he was always good at football always good at hockey always good at cricket good at water polo and now he's taking up golf in his spare time and he's just good at golf so it's yeah it's quite infuriating um but you still love him yeah but it is good also because we're very competitive so it's good to have um comparisons like that uh, to make and I suppose I've been to the Commonwealth Games and he hasn't so <laughs> there's a fine dig and is he older or younger than you he's younger so he's a year and a half younger okay so you're leading by example really as the older yeah. brother yeah okay one more question for you before we finish up what are you most looking forward to as the season progresses throughout the year this year seeing how good I can get off consistent training is probably it just to see how good I can get of being injury free for a period of time um, and just performing to how I, how I think I can perform Brilliant, well thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today, it's been a pleasure chatting with you James, I look forward to seeing all of your race starts wherever in the world they may be over the coming few weeks and months and the very best of luck with your season and thanks so much for joining us on the show Thanks very much for having me, it was great Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. You can get in touch with any feedback or guest suggestions by emailing me on trytalkingsport at gmail.com. You can follow all of our activities and podcasts on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn and Instagram. Pop by and say hi and let me know what you think of the show. If you're new to Try Talking Sport, please do check out some of our previous episodes. You will be both impressed and inspired by our guests. Finally, be sure to sign up to our e-zine featuring articles of interest, some great discounts, the inside track on supporting your triathlon and endurance sport journey wherever it may take you. Sign up on www.trytalkingsport.com. It takes 30 seconds and I promise I won't bombard your inbox with emails, just the good stuff. Until next time, stay safe, keep smiling and remember to look for fun and adventure in every day.